when something major like that in life happens or something traumatic, do you think one always goes for a big change like that? Not exactly that, but of sorts. Do you think it's necessary? Well, for me, when I was a kid, I didn't have a lot of control over my life. Right. Right. And so that was what I was like, the only thing I control is my diet. Right. Oh, yeah. And so that was what I was doing with that. But I do think like the cutting hair thing, like, I don't know, I've read some stuff that says like hair holds trauma type of thing. You know, right. how we're coming out with all this stuff that your mm-hmm. body holds trauma and like yes. you it and all that stuff. And so I do think mm-hmm. that there's something to be said for people cutting off their hair to just like, you know, kind of open a new chapter, you know? Yeah. Yep. Cut the dead ends. Yeah. The dead weight, the baggage of sorts, right? Mm-hmm. So for you, you went vegan. No, vegetarian, then vegan. Why the switch from vegetarian to vegan? Any particular reason? Honestly, I I remember when I was like doing it and I was like, well, I'm already vegetarian. So like, why not be vegan? Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's kind of how that went. I don't really know. I mean, that was when I like moved out officially. So the day I graduated high school, I said peace and moved to Chicago. Dude, with who? Um, one of my best friends. Her name's Kat. Actually, Kat okay. uses they them pronouns now. So they use they. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you were eighteen, and you were like, "I'm out of here from the burbs to to Chicago." Chicago, yeah. Were you scared? Honestly, no. <laughs> well, because you, in your mind, you were like, "I'm already an adult. I'm already taking care of myself." Mm-hmm. I had been taking care of myself, so I was like, I. Like for me, it was like, well, now I just don't have to listen to anybody, you mm-hmm. know? Yes. You don't have to answer to anybody. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I mean, cause you still knew that you had to listen and answer to someone before up until 18. Yeah. Cause I don't feel like I knew that. Like if I were to talk to my parents and be like, <laughs> you didn't listen to shit. Well, you know, sometimes these, these parents be on something, you know what I mean? Okay. <laughs> I'm saying, which is why, because, you know, Soph, mm-hmm. she turns 13 next Friday, right? And so I'm figuring out, like, navigating that. Like, of course, she thinks she knows things, and she does. I want to respect her as an autonomous human, but you got to ride the line you now, or I feel like I do. I don't know. Scary. Yeah, that's a tough age. I When I was 13, I was an asshole, bro. I, really? Oh yeah. Like, but what do you mean? Are are you trying to prepare me in yes, this very moment? Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I need to. Um, you said 13 and I was like, oh God. <laughs> I know she's, she's about to finish up seventh grade mm-hmm. and we be thinking we know stuff at that age. Honestly, I don't know. There's something about being a teenager where you're just like, I know everything and everybody else needs to shut up. But looking back, how much of that did you actually know how much was accurate? Oh God. I mean, it's hard to say, but it it is. I think for me, it's a little bit different because, you know, my childhood was pretty chaotic. So that's true. Yeah. I felt like I knew it was best for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think like I look back on it and I'm like, obviously didn't know. Like when I was, I remember being 13 and being like, I'm going to get emancipated. Like, no, we're not doing for real. Okay. And yeah obviously didn't understand like how much everything costs was like the big Mm. thing for me. Yeah. And so, yeah, once I got to like 17 and started like actually working a full-time job and everything and 
And I was like, okay, like I have to pay rent and pay bills and everything. I do say, I do say this like to my friends and whatnot though, is that like, I know how to do finances better than most people my age because I've had to do it for such a long time. Okay. I was about to capitalize on that notion because I think that's very situational. But also, this is why another reason to push for financial literacy starting at a very young age, because for those kids who have to grow up really fast, mm-hmm. you don't know what you're doing. Uh-uh. I do not know what I was doing. Who does, right? And so, yeah. how did, So you just learned through trial and error? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I think, so it was nice because when I was 17, like I had to pay for groceries, shopping, like all of the stuff that's like not rent. I mean, I didn't have to pay for like insurance, which was nice, but like, yeah. you know, the day-to-day needs you have, I had to pay for that. Yeah. I think that was like a nice introduction, honestly, to like having to pay bills. Cause I mm-hmm. had to pay consistently. I had to be able to eat. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. If I wanted clothes or whatever, you know, whatever yeah. that is, um, I had to pay for that. I had to pay for my sister's stuff too. And so that was like a way to like ease into it. I feel like versus yeah. Some people like really just get thrown out there and they're like, all right, now you have to pay your bills, your insurance, like all of this mm-hmm. stuff. And I feel like it's hard to have that many bills at the same time. Yeah. And I think it's easier to like be like, okay, you got to pay for this now. You got to pay for this now. Mm-hmm. Like, I know a lot of parents will be like, oh, like my kid, you know, whatever, turned 21 and now they have to pay rent or something. And like, right. as much as like, that's annoying because it is, but I do think that it helps to be able to adjust to having to pay for things, you know? Oh yeah, I think there's so much value in it because it's it's funny to notice that when my kids get birthday money, mm-hmm. like they're much more mindful as to how they spend it. Like, oh, it's not mom's money. <laughs> like, let me fi- like it's learning the value of the dollar. It sounds so cliche, but until you make your own money, mm-hmm. that shit grows on trees in your mind. <laughs> it's it's infinite when but when you start working for that it's very finite at that point, you yeah, know, all of a sudden your money goes to everything and you're like, wait, I thought I could like go on vacations. I guess not. Exactly. Like, so my youngest, he just turned nine. Right. And he made the comment the other day, he was asking for something. And I was like, I ain't got no money. And say it like that. Right. <laughs> but like, he's like, can't you just transfer? Transfer what? From where? That's, that's what I said. <laughs> It's so funny because I guess we all thought this way at one point in time, but we come to a harsh realization sometimes earlier than others. And I think the earlier, the better. Back to your point is, you know, like that financial literacy, even if you have a stable environment, start sloughing off some responsibilities to your kids before they're thrown out into the real world and they land flat on their face. Yeah. I mean, I do think like, you know, there's a balance. It would be nice if schools did that, but we're not going to get into that because schools got way too much on their plate already. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I mean, because, yeah, we can go down the rabbit hole of whose responsibility is what. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Okay. So what is at the forefront? Because like I, I mean, I have a couple of things that I wanted to chat with you about, but you can decide what feels most, I guess, important. So you had mentioned something in a couple of sessions ago about how we gatekeep anger. I know I brought that up to you again. So uh-huh. I want to dive in deep dive into that if we can, or yeah, like a couple of other notes that I took. It's a privilege to close the door. Mm-hmm. Do not become desensitized. And then navigating the gray space. And then another one is how men experience life differently than women. 
Oh God. Have you taken <laughs> notes on things you say? Cause they're, it's profound. <laughs> Wait, I'm crying. <laughs> you read those back to me. I'm like, Oh God. Um, <laughs> That's hilarious. I mean, no. I talk about, I love talking. <laughs> so I know. And whatever but, you want to talk about, because I can literally go off for days. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I loved our a previous conversation we had. And I mean, we just scratched the surface about how we gatekeep anger. Yeah. As, and do you think it's particular? Do we mean in light of being feminine, female? What do we mean by like who gatekeeps everybody? Yeah, it's tough. So there's like a lot of layers to it, right? Yes. Um, Kill the onion. Okay, here we go. Onion's coming Mm -hmm. out. Um, Start crying. Literally. (laughs) Get ready. Everybody (laughs) buckle their seats. Um, Yes. So I don't know. So I'm in this critical race theory class, right? Okay, yeah. Yeah. Talking about intersectionality. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of really opened my eyes in a lot of ways to like the anger conversation having so many layers to it, right? Because yes, the only people who acceptably can show anger are white men. Dude, right? okay. And even like historically, they're they're the only ones allowed to make waves, so to speak. Yeah. So white yeah. men automatically like, they, we almost expect them to be angry at this point, honestly. Yeah, like, yeah. Like when we, I don't know, from personal experience, I'll even say like, I go out to the bars, whatever a man's fighting somebody. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. You know? <laughs> right. You don't even bat an eye. You're like, of no, course. I'm like, yep. Okay. You go over Lots there. Of thing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's but interesting. Then, okay. Yeah. Sorry. Go. No, you're good. Um, but I, like I said, there's layers. So then there's a uh, men in general after mm-hmm. that, like, you know, yep. are allowed to be angry mm-hmm. to an extent, like white men always allowed uh, black men sometimes allowed to be okay. Yeah. And then there's like white women who I wouldn't necessarily say are allowed to be angry because I think that it's still seen as like, oh, like for me, a lot of times I get told, you know, you're not dealing with your trauma. You're not dealing with your emotions. If you're showing anger, anger is a secondary emotion, yada, yada, yada. What's underneath it. And then Mm-hmm. What's underneath okay. it? You need to and deal with that so that you're not angry anymore. So when you become angry, people automatically just judge you. And it comes across as you're not allowed to be angry. Right. Because you haven't done enough work. If you had done enough work, you wouldn't be popping off like this. Right. Exactly. Okay. So, but then there's also another layer to it of like, I'm much more allowed to be angry than a black woman is. Right. Mm-hmm. And why? Because, I mean, we should know this, but black women are stereotyped as being like, there's four different stereotypes typically seen. And mm-hmm. like one of those stereotypes is the angry black woman. And just like right. white people in America have this concept of like, oh, like she's just an angry black woman, like, you know, whatever. And right. they really don't take what these people are saying to like the full extent because they're like, oh, she's just angry. They kind of just like push it off, you know, like, oh, yes. she's angry, yada, yada. No one's asking the why. Exactly. Yeah. So like, there's so many different levels to it of like, who is allowed to be angry and Mm -hmm. when are they allowed to be angry and yada, yada. How do we move the needle on that? Should, do you think everyone should be allowed to be angry? Honestly, (laughs) this is, I don't know. This is just my personal opinion, how I feel. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I feel like, I mean, I think a lot of the reason why men are angry is because that's the only acceptable emotion for them to have. And so I Mm -hmm. think that's a deconstruction piece that needs to happen of like, men are allowed to have other emotions. They, they shouldn't just have anger, you know? Dude, there, I think there's so much to that because we, as a people don't allow men to be sensitive and mm-hmm. feel and cry, right? Like you're going back to what you're to your point. They are allowed to be angry, so everything comes out as anger. Right. Right. To right. an extent, right? I mean, because I mean, it's we do such a and I know we've probably talked about this before, but we do such a disservice to our little boys in the way we raise them because it's like like just the phrases man up, be a man, shake it off. Right. That does something to the psyche that is sending a message of you shouldn't feel you shouldn't be upset or cry. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So they shove it all under the rug. And then, yes, it manifests as anger, which is acceptable. Because we would rather, I don't know what we would rather. Are we saying we would rather see our man get mad than burst into tears? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Brene Brown talks about that. I don't know if mm-hmm. you've ever heard. Have Love you heard her. about that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Appreciate she talks about how um, she's done. I mean, she's done so many studies at this point. But she was talking mm-hmm. about how one of the studies in specific that she did, uh, she was talking to a man and she was like, my daughters would rather see me something like, like run into battle than mm-hmm. cry. Something like that. Something along those lines. Because it's a pillar of strength. The man yeah. is a signifies this pillar of strength and to be anything other than put together or angry as the only emotion is to be weak. To be weak, yeah. And I think that also like is very telling of how we see anger in general because that's mm. why, you know, when I'm angry, people are like, oh, you haven't done the work because they're seeing it as how anger is usually portrayed. And usually oh, yeah. portrayed by men who haven't done the work because, and I'm yeah. not saying like, that's very much like a social construct. Like, okay. For sure. I mean- we both know that I'm not a huge fan of men, but yeah, um, we know. <laughs> but like I, I love will say, it. you know, that is a social construct. They aren't allowed to feel other feelings. And so mm-hmm. it makes sense that when we view anger, we view it in the way of like, oh, well, the white dominant man who does the anger thing, yeah, only ever feels anger. He never feels the other emotions coming in. Um mm-hmm. and so yeah, I think it. you have to switch your mindset of like, okay, so what is this person actually saying? And I think that's like the big thing for me is like, I, a lot of people I talk to, I think can misconstrue what I'm saying because mm-hmm. of how I say it, because I'm very okay. animated when I talk mm-hmm. um, and, and like assertive and all of those things. And and I think people sometimes are like, whoa, like she's pissed off. And I'm like, I mean, even if I was mad, like right. it's how I'm expressing myself. It's not that I'm like trying to attack or trying to like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's almost like, well, it depends on the audience, right? And who's mm-hmm. receiving it. And are they intimidated by the way that you're saying it? They're immediately judging, oh, she needs to calm down. And so they're immediately turning off their ears or whatever, and they're not hearing you. That's a them issue. But do we fix that as a whole? Or do we shift ourselves into saying it differently just to be like we've talked about more palatable? 
more digestible. Know, you know, I, I hate that word. I hate that word. Palatable. I know, so, dude. pisses me off like no other. But yeah, and, and why? Because, well, let me not why? answer for you. Because it's rooted in white supremacy. The whole idea of pattern yeah. is, is just, oh, well, you know, we have to talk to white people in a way where they're going to like not cry. And it's like, no, bitch. <laughs> exactly grow the fuck up i don't know what to tell you like grow up check your emotions honestly exactly but you know as i've like been in social work school and whatnot it has been like a very very big challenge for me to be like okay like these people are not listening to what i'm saying like they're just offended by the tone of my voice so it doesn't even matter what you're angry about or does it in certain it depends on who i'm talking to for sure okay yeah in those specific scenarios it doesn't matter what i'm saying it matters how I'm saying it. And that's frustrating to me because I do feel like just the way that I've tried to live my life at least is like, and I'm still working on it. You know, everybody's life is a journey, but I try to live my, my life through the lens of like, I have privilege. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to try to use that privilege to further, I don't know how I want to say it, but like to further the, to push the needle, like you call it to like yeah. push the needle towards anti-racism. So like, yep. I'm going to be loud. <laughs> That's a privilege of mine. I know that when I'm yes. loud as a white lady, I'm not going to get fired. I'm not going to get yelled at. I'm not going to, people might talk shit behind my back, but I don't give a fuck about that. Like you're, you're not going to, you're not going to get arrested when you're pulled over. If you pop exactly. off to a cop. No, I'm not going to get arrested. There's right. so many things that like are privileges of mine that I know, but it's like, I'm trying to do, I'm trying to be authentic to myself mm-hmm. and not cater to white fragility you know what I mean say it louder (laughs) but there you go if you say it louder people get scared they get they don't want to hear it yeah they don't (laughs) (laughs) so what what is that a roadblock in moving is that the biggest roadblock in moving the needle okay that's a stupid question there are a lot of roadblocks and how do you rank them (laughs) you're fine (laughs) That would take 17 more years to figure that out. But I mean, as far as gatekeeping anger, what do we do on an individual level? How do you how do you move through and coexist in your space and try to move the needle without a fucking offending everybody? Yeah. You know what I think it is? I think it's like, as much as you talk and talk, you got to walk the walk, right? Mm-hmm. So I can't say, well, I want to be angry. And then when somebody else is angry, not allow them to have that space. You know okay. what I mean? Yes. Yeah. So I think that's something too, of like, you just have to be able to do that shift in your brain where you're like, okay, well, this is what I want for myself. And so I also want that for other people. If somebody right. comes to me and is like yelling at me, I'm going to be like, okay, like, you know, I'm trying to listen to the words. I'm not Mm -hmm. trying to get caught up in, oh, like they're angry. We need to like, sometimes you do have to deescalate the situation, obviously, like sometimes that's important. But usually, especially in like the social work realm, the, you know, whatever this realm is we're in right now. Um, (laughs) Third dimension. I don't know. Third dimension. (laughs) Sorry, go. It's not, it's, uh, these conversations that we're having that need to be had are not, you don't need to de-escalate it. You don't. Honestly, right. I, think the, I think that the most beneficial conversations I've had is when I am being loud. When mm-hmm. I'm being loud and somebody else is being loud back at me, right? Because what ends up happening is loud, 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 loud. And then I will be like, oh, 
that person said something that I actually agree with and I'll, mm-hmm. and I will still be loud, but mm-hmm. I'll be like, you know what? That's super valid. I mm-hmm. said that in class. We're going back. Really? Loud, loud, okay. loud, loud, yeah. loud, loud, loud. And she said something. Oh, uh, she said, you know, I don't think white people should be able to opt out of power, privilege and oppression classes. And I was like, you know what? That's super valid. And like, that was the end of the argument. Like we, really? we had to be able to have that conversation. We had to be able to go back and forth a couple of times. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. for either of us to be able to be like, okay, like this is making sense. Cause sometimes what ends up happening is you're, you're actually arguing the same point, mm-hmm. but you're arguing it differently. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yes. And are you saying that we need to get louder in order to hear each other? That's how I feel about it. Yeah. Because you well, you've seen it work. I've seen it work. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like when that's like when you get through the break, you get to the breakthroughs is when you can have that like back and forth. Because mm-hmm. I think we get so caught up in the like uh, white supremacy idea of like uh, avoiding confrontation that we never are able to have those conversations because somebody will get like a little heated about it. And then other people will be like, whoa, like we got to change the subject, whatever. And it's like, we're never going to be able to come to a consensus if we can't debate this. Bro, I could not agree more because it's the whole mentality of you don't talk about race, religion, or politics at the dinner table. That's exactly the stuff that we should be talking about. Uh Right? At all tables, yeah. and people are just so uncomfortable. And I remember you saying, you know, a couple of conversations ago, you know, you have, I'm tired. I don't know how you exactly expressed it, but something to the effect of we have to hold our tongue to make others feel comfortable yeah. and we're tired of it. Yeah. And I mean, this, I'm a white lady saying this, <laughs> right? <laughs> like racial battle is a real thing for people of color, you know? And, right. and I think it's honestly super disrespectful to go into a space and be like, you have to be able to talk to me in the way I want to be talked to as a white person. You know what I mean? Right. Like, you, you don't have that power or I mean, you do, but you shouldn't be using, you should not be using your privilege in that way. Is the Agreed. Point. You should be using your privilege to um, say some shit to your boss when your boss is doing something fucked up, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think people are aware of this? That they, especially white people, are they aware? Are they consciously doing this or is it all just subconscious behavior? Yeah. It's tough because I think this is another reason why we should be having these conversations is to bring it into everyone's awareness if they are in fact blinded to it. Yeah. I think that a lot of times uh, people weaponize self-care. They weaponize their whiteness. They weaponize. um, Expound on that. Weaponize self-care and whiteness. What do you mean? So weaponizing self-care looks like, and and this is like real life shit, is Mm -hmm. when you're trying to have a conversation that gets like a little bit intense. Or let's say, you know, something fucked up happened in your neighborhood and you're trying to talk to one of your neighbors about it. Yeah. And your neighbor's like, oh, well, you know, for my self-care, like I can't, I can't have that conversation. Like I I have to protect my mental space. Protect my inner. Yes. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Because you have to have that conversation. I don't care. Be uncomfortable. And exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's the point. All of this stuff is, it's supposed to be uncomfortable, but I think that's the thing too, is like getting into this work, it's like the initial part of it is so fucking uncomfortable, my dude. Like the, mm-hmm. I, the white tears that I have shed 
atrocious, atrocious amounts of white tears. Okay. <laughs> Meaning like, you know, you feel, like, like, like guilt tears. Yes. Like, yes. I was like, oh my God. Like I didn't know that I was this bad of a person essentially. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I think like you start building up like a, a tolerance kind of, mm-hmm. and it gets easier. You just have to keep doing it. You know, and I tolerance to what to existing, like facing the uncomfortable things about ourselves and society. Yes. Yes. Got you. Mm -hmm. You get you build up a tolerance to it. And that's I mean, that's that's a that's a tricky line, too, because like we said earlier, we don't want to get desensitized. You don't want to get so tolerant of what's going on that you're all of a sudden you're like, well, nothing matters anymore because that's right. You know what I mean? Right. Exactly. How do you not, how do you shield yourself from becoming desensitized, but yet becoming more comfortable in existing in the uncomfortable spaces? Support system. You got to have a support system. Nailed it. 